0: Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: He's better than everyone pitching now. Now, when you go back to Clemens, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, um, you know, you've got a, a Pedro Martinez, you have another conversation. But the best active pitcher career wise is Clayton Kershaw. Go look at those numbers again, Tony, and tell me that's not the best active pitcher. Well, that's what I yeah, said to Wilbon. They're hall of famers, but he sure dismissed God me.
2: The, <laughs> the Wilbon dismissed me. He just dismissed me on this. Okay. Well, he likes to do that,
1: Tony.
2: <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. The great value of Tim Kirkchin is that there's nothing that you can bring up that he doesn't know about. And have a very well-reasoned argument to deal with. I mean, it's just, Tim Kirkjian is great. He's a baseball historian. Um, we are we are guest-loaded today uh, because we have Mark Feinsand and Jason Lockenfora and, and Jeff Ma and James Carville. Michael is, we are doing this electronically in ways that we've never done before. Sean is back doing the show. Nigel is sitting with About me. Time. You know, right. And yeah, because we missed Sean. <laughs> and Michael is in South Carolina. What, tell, tell us how you are doing this. Tell us, you know, in uh, great detail, what's in, you know, how, you, how is this working?
3: How does it happen? So, so essentially, I'm doing this from a link that everyone is familiar with over the last two years if they have been working at home. So Sean shared a link I logged in this morning uh, before you, I might add. And now I get to watch a beautiful sunrise over the Okatee River. So, do you, are you on Zoom? Something, uh, like, see something like that. Ooh, do you see our faces? Do you see us? The, do you want me to turn the camera on?
4: Uh, he would you only might... see the side of my head in, in this setup.
3: Oh. Okay. Oh, you All right. see, so, you he could can't see, see uh, us. You can see the booster <laughs> right. playing with
2: some Lego on the floor. There's no intrusive camera here. No. Okay. I just wanted to know. So, Well, it's good. I'm glad Michael's on. I'm glad yes. Sean is on. I'm a little less glad Nigel is on, and I'm really <laughs> sorry I'm on. But no, but let's start with guests, because today is the beginning of the baseball playoffs. And by the way, we're off the air at, on PTI because we are loaded with, with baseball games. Mark Feinsand joins us now. We're not going to talk about camp. We are going to talk about baseball. And I want to start with a story that we actually started with on the PTI show yesterday, the notion that Buck Showalter strategically is going to try and hold Jacob deGrom out for as long as he can unless he faces elimination in the series against the Padres. What do you think of this strategy, Mark?
5: So
6: I initially loved the strategy when I heard about it because, frankly, Jacob deGrom hasn't been Jacob deGrom for his last, you know, three weeks or so. He's got a 6 ERA in his last four starts. There's talk about a blister and how much that's affecting him. And if you're not going to get peak Jacob DeGrom, give him a couple more days if possible, and and let him, you know, get out there against the Dodgers in games one and five, potentially. Um, But then everybody I talk to in the game hates this idea.
3: Really? So I'm
6: I'm getting swayed more. You know, I guess the idea is, yeah, it's really cute to to hold out DeGrom for game one against the Dodgers until, uh, you know, you lose to the Padres, and then you don't ever face the Dodgers. So... I think in theory it's a good idea, but there's also something to be said for you know putting your foot on the team's neck and not getting cute with them and not giving the Padres uh, a reason to think that you're you're looking past them.
2: Well, this is this is what I said yesterday with the assist from Matt Kelleher. Like the Padres are going to sit there and say, "Wait a second, the Mets think they can beat us with one hand tied behind their back. Are we going to allow that to happen?" So would you, would you start Scherzer in one and Degrom in two, or would you flip it? And, and are you saying that Bassett, because he had a bad performance the last time he was out, that Bassett doesn't figure in this?
6: I would just not have said anything. I would have just said, well, we're going Scherzer in one and DeGrom in two. And if you win one... Then you can flip it and say, you know what, we're giving Jake an extra day here, uh, and and we're going to let Bassett pitch games. Chris Bassett's had a great year, so uh, I don't think there's any disrespect in throwing Chris Bassett in the game too. Except the fact that you're not throwing Jacob Degrom, and you're clearly, uh, you know, sort of defying the logics of conventional wisdom. Of you have the biggest advantage the Mets have in any short series is having Max Scherzer and Jacob Degrom if they're healthy. so if you're not throwing DeGrom, you're either saying, A, like you said, we think we can beat you with right. one hand tied behind our back, or B, Jacob DeGrom is not healthy. If it's the latter, just say it. But I don't know. Uh, you know, I think there's, the Mets are going to have a lot of second-guessing if they don't get out of this first round, whether DeGrom pitches game two or game three.
2: It is a daunting task to have to face the Dodgers in a best three of five when the Dodgers are rested and their rotation is set up. This is my pushback to you. If they throw Scherzer and DeGrom in one and two, they don't get to Scherzer and DeGrom again till three and four or four and five against the Dodgers, and there might not be four and five against the Dodgers, right? Isn't that the thinking?
6: Sure, absolutely. But, you know, you're going to have to get through this team one way or another. You're not going to get more than three starts from those two guys, and that's if you get to a game five. So in the first four games of that series, you're only going to get one star from each of them, no matter how you lay this out. Um, So, you know, whether you end up using them in games one and three or three and four, whatever it may be, your other guys are going to have to step up at some point during that series if you're going to get past the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, (laughs) this could all just be a moot point because I don't know that anybody's going to get past the Dodgers.
7: That's right. So
2: let me go back to this thing with Buck Showalter and his strategy. This was first, I think, written about in the New York Post yesterday by Joel Sherman. Um, I did not read the piece. It was told to me, but I'm assuming that he had a conversation with Buck Showalter about this and not to be too snarky, but Buck Showalter is now in his 21st year as a major league manager and he's never been to the World Series. So as I said on the air, Mark, he's had a lot of October time to think about this strategy because he's not in October most of the time, right?
6: Yeah, I'm, you know, I wonder, <clears throat> like everything else that happens in baseball these days, was this Buck Showalter's strategy? Was this Billy Epler's strategy? Was this a communal strategy? Like, who? you know, I don't know whose idea right. this actually was from the beginning. I've heard some people suggest that, um, you know, this was initially a front office concept uh, that Buck bought into. Who knows? But, you know, again, I think the National League playoffs this year are setting up to be maybe the most entertaining postseason oh, we've yeah. ever seen because there are so many. You could make a legitimate argument for each one of the four top teams, and I'm not trying to disrespect the, you know, the Padres and the, um, Phillies. and the Phillies, and the Phillies et cetera, but I just think those top four teams are so good that you could make an argument for any one of them to come out of the National League and be in the World Series.
2: Those of us who love Max Scherzer, and I count myself high on the list of people who love Max Scherzer, do understand that there is one flaw, and that is the home run ball. And it happens a lot, most of the time solo home runs, but it happens a lot. He gave up two the other day, one was a two run home run. And I just think to myself, Mark, what if Soto takes him out? What if Soto takes him out twice? You know what I mean? I know Soto hasn't done much in San Diego, but these guys go back to the Nats, and I, I wonder about that. Is, is that on your radar as well?
6: You know, it's funny. Soto hasn't done much since he's been with the Padres, but there's something about City Field that guy loves, and he loves to go there and hit. And the idea of him going into City Field and just becoming a menace to the Mets uh, is certainly in play. I think we've, we've seen him do that enough times that the ballpark he's comfortable with, he likes the, the surroundings, the background, the hitting background. Um, it'll be fascinating, I'm sure, for Nats fans watching Scherzer against Soto. Uh, in two different yeah. uniforms in a playoff series is going to be yeah. a little bittersweet, I would think.
2: A hundred percent.
6: But I'm sure that that Scherzer knows Soto just as well and is going to uh, you know do everything he can to make sure that he's not the guy who beats him.
2: Phillies Cardinals is also in the National League. Everybody who likes the Nats hates the Phillies because of what Bryce Harper did. Just, and because they're the closest team in the National League to the Nats. Uh, but the story in that series, the overwhelming story, is Albert Pujols. Who said again yesterday, he's done. Do you believe he's done?
6: I do. And actually, he told my, my colleague, John Denton, in a story that's on our site right now, that he almost retired in June because he was, he was playing so poorly and mm-hmm. he just was such a shell of himself and he couldn't figure it out. And, uh, you know, this was the scenario that coming into the year I-, I thought was more likely was, you know, pool holes, limps through the first half. And either retires or gets DF eight like he did with the Angels, and we don't have this glorious ending. Uh, Obviously, what's happened in the second half has been just a wonder to watch. And uh, you know, for anybody who's watched Pools throughout his career, it's been amazing to just see him have this final half a season renaissance. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to retire. I don't think there's any question. He had said if he was at six ninety nine, he was going to retire. So at seven zero three. Uh, I don't think he's coming back to, uh, to chase down Babe Ruth, but, you know, he said he's, he's obviously hoping to go out with a ring. And the way the Cardinals have played, look, are they as good as the Dodgers? And the Braves, no. Um, but they've been just as hot at certain times. And, you know, the playoffs is just about who gets hot. It's not quite the hot goalie in hockey, but it's, uh, you know, yeah. you get a couple guys who are, who are pitching well and a couple guys who come up with some big hits. And all of a sudden, especially in a, in a five-game series, uh, anything can happen.
2: The Phillies are in the playoffs with a replacement manager. They fired Joe Girardi. I don't remember the name of the replacement manager, but he obviously did a pretty good job. Is this more credit to him or more blame on Girardi that they just hated Girardi and wouldn't play for him?
6: Well, it's Rob Thompson, who was a longtime coach with the Yankees and then came over to the Phillies, and he's been Girardi's bench coach there. Um, I think it's a lot of credit to Robbie Thompson. He's a lifelong baseball guy. Uh, He was a beloved figure during all of his years in the Yankees organization. Uh, He's just sort of a a meat-and-potatoes, sort of grab-your-lunch-pail-and-go-to-work kind of guy. Uh, And he's uh, players have related to him very well. I don't know that it's as much against Girardi as I would say it's for Thompson. It's probably a combination of both. Um, I would be stunned if he's not ultimately given the full-time job. Uh, you know, once the Phillies go through the requisite manager search. But, uh, yeah, I think he's, uh, he's done a phenomenal job. And, you know, let's not forget, they were not the healthiest team even once he took over. I mean, they were missing Harper for quite a while. That's right. And, um, you know, he's, he's done a great job. I think even in a partial season, I think he ended up managing about four months. Uh, I would give him serious consideration for manager of the year.
2: There are th- really ahead of the Orioles, Guy. Well, the Orioles, different,
6: different leagues. the, oh, that's right. the okay. American League. All right, National I League East has, has the American League manager yeah. here as well.
2: National League East has three teams in, but the National League East, the bottom of it, the uh, Washington and Miami aren't very good. American League East is loaded, just totally loaded. and They've got three teams in. The Mariners play Toronto. The Rays play Cleveland in the first round. This is a referendum on the on the American League East to me. Do you think either or both of those teams get through?
6: Um, I think, well, I I, I picked the Rays to beat the Guardians, mostly because every time I pick against the Rays, I end up looking like an idiot, so I I decided not to do that. Um, That's going to be a good series full of players that most casual fans probably have never heard of, um, but I think that's going to be a good series. I do think Tampa Bay emerges out of there. I'm picking Seattle to win because there's just something about that team I love, but the Blue Jays are really dangerous, and I think that that actually might be... Um, the most entertaining first-round series because there are so many just great young hitters, great young pitchers. Uh, You know, Luis Castillo's been amazing for Seattle since he went there. Alec Manoa, if you haven't watched this guy pitch, make sure to be on your couch at 4 o'clock today and watch him. He is like a bear out there. He's just this enormous hulk of a man. Uh, Somebody asked him about the pressure of pitching in the playoffs, and he said, pressure is something you put in your tires.
2: So for him
6: he doesn't care. And I think uh, he is the kind of guy, if the Blue Jays are going to win this series, they're going to do it with him going out there and pitching a huge game one. They have the home field advantage. They should win this series. I'm picking Seattle, but I think Toronto, by all conventional thought, should win this series.
2: Well, the the podcast officially roots for Seattle because of Dave Sims. Yes, of course. I mean, that's, the well, that's official that's, position. That's, that's part that's, of my
6: reason for rooting for Seattle right. as well. Is, you know, I've known position. Dave for a very long time, and uh, hearing him make that call when they won the division or clinched the hey, playoff yeah. spot was yeah. just incredible. And, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorites.
2: Uh, you mentioned uh, the home field. For people that don't know this, in the first series, in the best two out of three, the team that finished higher in the standings, had more wins, has the home field for all the games. All the games. Do you? I really, really like this. I wonder if you do.
6: I do. It actually makes it feel more like a regular Season series where you, you know, one team goes to the other team's place for three games. And, uh, you know, if you can win the first two, you don't have to play the third. So um, I do like it. I think, look, the more playoff games that we get to watch, the better it is for everybody, I think. Uh, And it certainly kept some fan bases engaged longer into the season. Uh, Teams like Philly and Seattle got to break long postseason droughts. It kept a team like the Orioles in the postseason race. I love the expanded playoffs, uh, and I think having the home field gives you a legitimate advantage. I mean, this is you know you've always said the one-game wild card is such a crapshoot. Well, now it's a best-of-three, and you don't have to put your entire 162-game season uh, you know down to, to one game. So I really like the format, and I'm really fascinated to see a how it works out with the best-of-three series, and then b what kind of ramifications it has on these. Uh, the four teams that advance that they're going to have to have burned their best pitcher or yeah. in some cases two, yeah. uh to you know go to face a team like the Astros or the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Braves who are going to be sitting there rested and ready
2: all right I'll get you out of here on this um Aaron Judge got 62 we're all I think we're all sort of happy that he got 62 and wasn't stuck on 61 that he has his own line in the record book I was disappointed that he sat out the last game. I mean, just go up there as a DH. Just take a couple of swings. What would, you know, you've written so extensively about the Yankees. What was their thinking, and, and how did you feel about it?
6: Well, Judge had played 55 straight games without an off day. Um, I mean, there have been some off days built into the schedule, but not that many. Uh, he had played 55 straight, and, you know, I think the, as we've seen with guys chasing milestones, there's a, a, an extra level of um, stress put on your your at bats and your game, and everybody's watching, and everybody wants to talk to you. And uh, I think after he finally hit it, um, if there had been a chance, like a legitimate chance for him to win the batting title, I think he would have played. Um, but I think he needed to go four for four, and yeah. the other guy needed to go hitless, and it, it just seemed yeah. like it was far fetched uh, scenario for it to happen. And I think he was just exhausted. And, you know, this is a team that has obviously very high aspirations in the playoffs. And I think they – not that one game and then having four days off would have, you know, been any different for him in terms of rest. But uh, I think mentally and physically he was just spent. And, uh, you know, Aaron Boone made the decision that if the batting title is not really in play here, then what's the point? Give him the day off and, and let him, you know, enjoy Enjoy sitting in the dugout with his teammates after going through what he's just gone through. Because once the playoffs start, there's no enjoying sitting in the dugout. You're you're all back to focus.
2: Yeah. Okay. You convinced me sorta of kinda sorta of kinda. Uh, we <laughs> will all talk a lot so during sort of the playoffs. Is what I
6: aspire to. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Mark. We'll talk during the playoffs, Mark Feinstein, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We will come back with Jason Lockenfora. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
4: You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Don't let me go.
9: This is
2: Natalie Hamilton. And she's better than I am. (laughs) And I'm going to take a shot. She's better than you are. She writes, it's been an absolute blast and such an honor that you've been playing my music on your show. I really don't know how to thank you enough. I was at choir practice last week when one of the members who didn't know I was also a professional musician came up to me afterwards and told me that a friend of his, who just happens to be in the CIA, but we won't mention that, (laughs) had heard me on your show and recognized the town I was playing in, called up his old friend who lived in that town, and now my choir buddy thinks I'm famous because his friend heard me on your show. But I thought that was so nice, how two people were connected that hadn't been in touch in some time, all because of your show and you playing my songs. We'll have another song later in the show. This is called Don't Let Me Go four words that she sings very, very well, and she sings in Jason Lock and Fora. and I, I was, I know what I was going to start with, but I got to start, Jason, with what happened last night. That Ugh. game stunk. That game stunk. <laughs> yeah. There were no touchdowns. It goes to overtime. It's tedious. I got out of it pretty early, but others who Good watched you, it man. all the way to the end, oh, yeah. you know, and then Hackett's going to win again. You know, I, I guess she... De- do you agree with Hackett's decision? Did he have to do that because there was not that much time left?
7: I was rooting for a twelve-twelve tie, but I mean, I guess that's just right. a masochist in me at that point. Um, right. I don't, I don't know that there were any winners coming out of that thing. I mean, I'm sure Frank Reich feels a whole hell of a lot better right now than he would have with two ties through right. five weeks. But it, 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 it wasn't a. Uh, it wasn't a positive representation of anything that is supposed to be associated with the modern offensive football game. I mean, I, look, you have to applaud those defenses, and I thought that game would go under and go under hard because those two teams are playing quality defense, and neither has shown an ability to sort of exhibit any sort of offensive identity or personality to this point it it looks like a, a, a collection of guys who barely know each other playing a game that they're reasonably familiar with but not nearly enough so to actually put forth some sort of performance that anybody would want to see um and and there aren't a whole lot of ideas and there's there's not a whole lot of chemistry and nothing looks particularly connected like one play doesn't really look connected to the one before it or the one after it it's just like stuff's happening um can some of that get cleaned up through the course of a year? I I guess, but man oh man, we're we're getting into the you know, we're in the middle of October now and um the whole idea of well you play yourself into shape and you play yourself into who you are and September is the new preseason. Well, we're out of September. And I don't know what to make of either of these outfits. Um from the quarterback to the offensive lines to the skill position players. Um, and I will be fascinated to see, like, usually there's a grace period and, you know, you get uh, a situation like this in Denver where essentially an owner is handed a coach. And and it doesn't usually bode well for the coach by, you know, January or February. But in this case, I, I, I mean, you, you spend that much money for a team and, You've got that much money tied up into a particular player or quarterback who who isn't really functioning and, and doesn't really look um, like an NFL starting quarterback, let alone a $200 million quarterback. I, I, there's not a ton of other options, I, I guess, on that staff, but there are a few. I, I just sort of wonder what happens there if we continue to see that sort of offensive performance and that sort of game management week in, week out. Um, do I think he probably had to go for it there? Yeah, I, I think so, but part of that is born of all the red zone issues and the inability to, to have a smooth operation and finish drives that go all the way back to week one where they played a horrible Seattle defense, a horrible Seattle defense, and couldn't score against them either. So I, I, I just wonder what all this means for Nathaniel Hackett.
4: You
2: you're suggesting that if he were canned in the next couple of weeks, you would not be the most surprised guy in America.
7: Um no, I, I wouldn't. I mean if this is what that looks like, does it get to Thanksgiving? Mm. I, I don't know that it does. I I, I don't mm. know that it Tony, people were leaving that game in droves in the second half and they've got a chance to win and and go to three and two. I mean they're booing the heck out of the new quarterback. Um no one seems to, to ha- have really bought into this coach. And I I mean, okay, you bring in Jerry Rosberg and you've got an old school special teams guy now to help you with decision making and this or that. But like is he gonna is is he gonna create an offense for them that looks functional? No, it's not Jerry Rosberg's it's not in his toolkit. They've got issues that go way, way beyond this guy not knowing, you know, when to kick and when to go for it and when to punt.
2: It's interesting. It's interesting. Let me move off to that, which became the number one story because that game was so bad, to yeah. the thing that is the number one story in the NFL at the moment. That is the Tua thing. Where is this headed? In your opinion, was this doctor scapegoated? Is there a systemic problem here with the with the – Concussion tent and the protocols
7: Well, clearly this um, this this process the these protocols are not foolproof whatsoever because we yeah. continue to see issues. so is this something that needed to be further addressed, regardless of of you know or, or whether or not something like what happened to TuA happened? Sure, I think it certainly was already. Um, warranting further discourse and 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 you know uh dialogue between the n f l and the n f l p a about trying to to create these you know no goes and and these return to plays that kind of prevented situations like this from happening um where is it going it's it's going to result in some new language coming out, maybe even by the close of business today, uh, that attempts to address some of these situations. Um, it may include more spotters being involved, more people being involved in the process. Um, and, and I think, you know, in real time, week to week, what's it what's it going to lead to? I don't think you're going to see any other players who who were even, you know, Look like they could have entered the concussion protocols playing on a short week, and I think the you're going to see far fewer players suffer a concussion on a Sunday and come back and play the following Sunday. I, I just you know the the wind starts to blow in a particular direction yeah. from from a PR and optics standpoint. We've seen this in the past on a far less significant level with points of emphasis in officiating, and whether they're being overly um, um, adherent to particular language, or whether they're sort of, you know, quote-unquote, letting them play. We've seen that ebb and flow from a summer through a season into the playoffs, and just how drastically different certain things can be enforced, depending on where we are in the season. And I think it's become very clear to every general manager and every head coach, and every distinct coach that, hey, if we're in a circumstance where it looks like, you know, player X suffered a concussion, he's not playing the following week. I I just, you know, I would pay attention to the injury reports. I would keep an eye on that, and and I think that's something where I don't know that a whole lot, I mean, there will be things that are written and spoken, and there will be, you know, again, this new language that comes forth about this, but I, I think that the teams have already gotten the message that we're not, you know, do, do not push the envelope on this.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you that, that this, is, this is a very, very bad look. And Tua is a, a glamour quarterback and his team was undefeated and he looked like he had a concussion and maybe he talked somebody out of it. He went back out onto the field and he went back out three days later yeah. and now he's out. He's, and it's the worst case scenario in a concussion protocol circumstance. Let me move off that take advantage of your geography, living and working in Baltimore. They keep losing at home. Yeah. What's the deal with them, and did you agree with the Harbaugh decision not to take the field goal?
7: Well, they don't have a defense. Um, They haven't for quite some time. They don't have players on that side of the ball who are particularly formidable. Um, They certainly don't have players who are living up to where they were drafted by this organization. Their last three drafts have not been robust by any measure. They've, they've been a failure um, mm. to some degree. And so if you're not going to be a big spending team, and they're not, they're, they're bottom ten in the league and actual dollars spent on payroll um, – Pretty much every year since the Flacco, you know, since they got out from under the Flacco contract where they originally made him, and for a moment in time in 2016 the highest-paid player in the history of the game, um, and they're not big players in free agency. Uh, so when you get into these situations where the other team has better players than you, and now you're caught up in sort of this culture of well, over the course of four quarters, their better players find a way to beat our players um you don't you can't get a pass rush so you don't have an individual in your front 7 who other teams are worried about blocking by any means necessary to stop them from you know in in wrecking the game um, you're you're kind of dependent on all this money and assets you have tied up in your secondary somebody getting an interception somebody tipping a ball etc and and they they're they're, they're, they're uh, an elite takeaway team this year they stunk last year but once the takeaways dried up, and, and it's hard to do that all the time. There, there's an ebb and flow to that. There is regression. Once they stopped getting takeaways, which they got early in that game, for the final five drives, the Bills did whatever they wanted, walked down the field and scored points. So I, John Harbaugh is not going to come out and say, oh, our drafts have sucked and we could take guys in the first round, but they probably should. You know, They look more like fourth-round picks to me. But that's all I got. So I'm going to keep them off the field. Or he could default to analytics because nobody knows that kid from Stanford or MIT or, you know what I mean, whatever. And yeah. it's not like that that guy's going to stare him down in the hallway and say, hey, coach, what are, you, what are you doing calling me out? Nobody knows who these people are, right? They hide out in nerd caves, and they hide behind numbers. So I think it's much easier for him to say, I did what the numbers said I had to do, than to say, Did you really want to see Patrick Queen play another snap? Like, what do you think that would have looked like? Like, did you see the last five drives? Have you been watching our 32nd-ranked pass defense over the last 20-odd games? Like, you really think we're stopping Josh Allen there, folks? Um, I don't mind him going for it. I didn't like the play call. Empty sets the final three quarters of that game were miserable for the Ravens. They don't have a left tackle right now. They're playing a developmental right tackle at left tackle. And the right tackle that they signed in the free agency, Morgan Moses, they didn't really need a right tackle. They signed one anyway. He was having a bad day. And Buffalo's got a really good defensive line and they both those tackles got whipped at the point of attack. There was no help for Lamar Jackson and, and you know, there was no boot action for Lamar Jackson. It was a straight drop. And it was a road to nowhere. I would have liked to see an RPO situation where the, where the ball in the decision is in Lamar's hands. Um, some of the guys they had on the field, like a running back, Mike Davis, he played two snaps the entire game. The guy's only worthy of two snaps. Half of them probably shouldn't be the most important player of the game. I don't know. That's just me. Call me crazy. Uh, so, yeah, they've got some issues. And Cincinnati was a hell of a hard matchup for them a year ago. We'll see if they can bow up. Uh, when I assess this game, The Bengals have more talent. I think the Bengals are better offensively and defensively. But is this, you know, one of those emotional sort of triggers where they just say not again? You know what I mean? We're not going to lose an eighth straight one-score game. We're not going to lose six in a row at home, including our first three, to start a season. Um, And we'll see what the atmosphere is like. I'm sure it'll be nuts. Um, But uh, I think the Bengals are the better football team
2: is wonderful to listen to plug your radio show for us and i'll tell people you're writing great in the washington
7: post oh thank you sir um yeah you can listen to more of this mumbo jumbo from two to six every single weekday on inside access on 1057 the fan um in baltimore you can stream at us at www.1057thefan or listen to entire shows or certain segments of any particular show on the Odyssey app, you just click on 105.7 The Fed and click on Inside Access, and it's all right there. Um, so, no, thank you guys for having me, and enjoy the games this weekend.
2: We'll talk next week, Jason La Confora, boys and girls. When we come back, maybe James Carville, maybe. certainly <laughs> Jeff Ma. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
0: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
9: This is the Tony Kornheiser Show.
2: Once again, this is Natalie Hamilton, who writes, these are demo songs, as I haven't had the opportunity to go into a studio with them yet. Maybe someday. In the meantime, their essence is intact albeit with squeaky piano benches and some boomy vocals at times. But piano benches wouldn't be piano benches if they didn't give a good squeak every now and again. And what's a voice if it doesn't boom and pop every now and again? I'm sure as a broadcaster, you understand your way around a microphone. So please excuse my works in progress. This is called Cruel. Her works in progress are a lot better than the finished product of a lot of people. Yes. Michael, if people like Natalie Hamilton want to send in their original music, how do they do so?
3: that does your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykornheisershow.com and I know you're listening to the, the to the piano bench because the piano bench has been key for PTI the last few years
2: yes absolutely the home studio the piano bench is in the studio that's yes. where I put all of my notes before I go on the air it's great Playoffs are here Crew. so uh,
3: check out johnnyo.com with TK meal deal rep your favorite team or the Nats
2: real deal or meal deal meal deal
3: gotta meal get those with labels. an M meal,
2: meal deal, deal. Elliot he Olshansky sent me Whopper coupons, oh. by the way. Well, there you go. Uh, okay, James Carville is with us. He had a great week. He was 5-0-1. Oh, he fortunately got Buffalo giving three, not three and a half. Chuck Todd and Jeff Ma had to give three and a half, so they lost that game. So he pushed and won everything else. Carville is now 8-2-1. and one. Oof. You are killing it. You're killing it. Well, what do you have for uh, us uh, this uh, week?
1: Oh, uh, hey, uh, T-boy.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> man got yeah.
1: it. <laughs> He's yeah. he, he, he getting a little better, you know. Uh, Who well, I like this week? BYU Notre Dame.
4: Uh, yeah, uh, I've got Notre Dame giving three and a half. Take the Mormons. Take the Mormons. Okay. Yeah,
6: now I'm BYU. a
2: guy. but <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah, what else you got? I. Yeah, get the, the uh, uh, Oklahoma, uh, uh, Kansas and TCU. Uh, let's see. Hold on. TCU put up about a hundred points a week ago on Oklahoma, right?
1: right?
4: right. What is it? Kansas TCU. Uh, let's see. I've got TCU giving six and a half. Yeah.
1: Give the six and a half and more. Right. <laughs> get to, try, to, try to go to the window in that game and get the word Kansas out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
2: Anyhow, but they, they're undefeated. They're they undefeated. undefeated, but oh, TCU out. put 60 on Oklahoma, right? They
1: killed them. Funny, Sonny Dykes is a good coach. Okay. What else? Um uh, we got the big one uh, Saturday night when Jimbo uh, takes his team to Tuscaloosa.
2: Texas A&M and Alabama. What's the line on right. that?
1: When, I, when, when Jimbo leaves, it's going to be a lot more than 24-point defeat. Gonna
4: <laughs> so, yeah, I've got Alabama giving 24. <laughs> You're going to take Alabama? I think so. Okay.
1: okay. I think when the, the, the Nick has a score to settle, it he, hate hates to settle. <laughs> he hates him. Cause, cause
2: he hates him because he— what Fisher said was stupid mm-hmm. to basically insult Nick Saban personally. Okay.
1: What else? Uh, um, The Eagles.
2: Right. Uh, the right. Eagles see. are minus five at Arizona. Let me see if that line's cool. changed. Yeah, it's still five. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, the Eagles might be as good as you think they are in Arizona. Is worse than you think they are uh, later points on the road.
2: Okay. You're going to take the Eagles minus five. Okay. Correct. Any, anything else?
1: oh uh, Yeah, like, with the, the Los Angeles Rams.
2: Who just Rams? Got,
1: who got beat Dallas and right, held a game, but didn't, Los Angeles didn't look that. San Francisco looked great Monday night.
4: Mm-hmm. I've All got right? the Rams at home giving five-and-a-half to Dallas. Now it's up to five-and-a-half. It was four-and-a-half a couple of days ago.
1: Later, five-and-a-half.
2: Okay, you're going to take the L.A. Rams in that one. In I'm going to take the L.A.
1: Rams. Okay. And we, then uh go ahead. my man, Joe Barr, travels to Timor, as we used to say.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Baltimore. Baltimore,
4: what's up? I got Baltimore what's giving what? three. Give Joe – take
2: Joe Barr. Now, you love him because of LSU. Is this a rational okay, position I, I to be in? This. Okay.
1: I, okay. Why, why wouldn't I love him? He's the greatest quarterback. Yes. Any quarterback had in the history of college football. Yeah, Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I love him <laughs> because he took – you know, probably traditionally the worst franchise in the whole NFL to a Super Bowl is second year.
2: That's exactly I'm sorry, right. He's
1: done something. Yeah, it, he has. yeah. It, yeah he, he just fall off the turnip cup.
2: No, that's uh, really good. Yeah.
1: Pretty weird. And, All right. And, okay. That's it. Yes,
2: uh, yeah, that's okay, it. Yeah, You're so
1: hot. Five zero and one last week. Eight two and one overall. i mean, if I could go. If I could go four and two. You know, I'd be happy. But it's always fun.
2: Thank you, we'll James
3: see
1: you next week.
2: You bet. James Carville, boys and girls. All hell T-boy. Yeah, it's, it's T-boy, and, and we're going to have to bleep out a little bit <laughs> you know, James. We only have to
3: clean up about half
2: of
4: that. <laughs>
2: just, we're, like, you, you people don't hear it the way we hear it, and then we bleep it out. All right. Uh, do we have Jeff Ma?
4: I think, I think Sean is efforting that as we speak right now.
2: I mean, that was just, you know, it's right it's, in the middle of a sentence. It sneaks right in there. Just really is, internet show for me. <laughs> yeah, so we, so I look at Nigel, and yeah, because I'm looking for confirmation. Did he just say that? Yeah, yeah right in the middle. <laughs> yes, he did.
4: Just want to emphasize Joe Burrow's career in college. Yeah, T boy latched
2: <laughs> Didn't he say last year T boys for tiny boy? I like can't. He's m- about five two or five three.
4: Is that true? I that's, can't remember. That. That's
2: what I think it was. Michael, do you remember that as T boy for tiny boy? I can barely understand any of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, James is it's. So hard
4: sometimes, it is. All right, Sean, what do we got with Jeff Ma? Uh, he's going straight to voicemail right now. So we don't, don't have know. Jeff Ma. Oh, no. He'd, uh, it's okay. He'd, we can do without. If we do without, we do without. We do without. Yeah, he e- emailed me in the, in the overnight saying, here's some things we can talk about. What was his record last week? Is he pulling a Carville? <laughs> no 3 and 2 he's 12 and 8 overall yeah, everybody's winning except the monkey the monkey's at 500
5: right the
2: monkey's at 500 this is highly unusual for us right that everybody's winning we did get this one thing from john Potala or patala in chicago tony thanks for doing your show i listen to every episode you are an american treasure After listening to your conversation last month with Neil Greenberg and the advantage the books have with parlays I was curious to know what Jeff Ma's thoughts are regarding parlays as well Also, what are his thoughts on over under totals versus the line? Would it be possible for you to ask a smart guy like Jeff those questions? I would email bet the process but unfortunately
4: they don't have a mailbag segment We could ask Jeff those questions, but we don't have Jeff Well, I'm seeing here that Jeff is is seeing my emails or my my text rather right so he should be ready for us hopefully Well, Sean, give it one more try, and if not,
2: we're going to bail out. By the miracles of phone work, Jeff Ma is going to join us. We don't have to disappoint people. He's here with us right now. He was 3-2 last week, 12-8 overall. He wanted to talk about two specific decisions before we pick games, and I plug Bet the Process. The Hackett decision last night to let Russell Wilson go. This is the second time Hackett has lost doing that. And the Harbaugh decision, which we talked to Jason LaConfora about, to not take the field goal um, and to try to score and try to beat Buffalo, which did not work for John Harbaugh. Take them in any order you want, Jeff.
5: Yeah, well, so I'm going to take them in total, right? And earlier in uh, the week, you sort of talked about how you didn't like the analytics, or you didn't care about the analytics, and you think the right thing to do is to take, to take the field goal in that Harbaugh situation. I'm not sure what your point of view on last night's game was because you were probably asleep by oh, by the time. Oh, well, that happened. asleep.
2: I, that game was so dreadful. I don't care what <laughs> happened in that game. Yeah,
5: yeah. But so. I think I think one of the things that we in, in, that you said, and and I think that we we tend to overlook in a lot of this sort of math around analytics is the fact that. As Herm Edwards would say, the point is to win the game, right? right. And, and ultimately, what people think a lot about is the the point is to tie the game, or the point is to take the lead, right? And ultimately, what a coach needs to do is make a decision that gives them the best chance to win the game at the end of the game, right? And so, oftentimes, you'll see people say, "Oh, well, they should take the points, or they should they should take a you know field goal to tie the game." But the reality is. That field goal, how often do you think that field goal Harbaugh takes it? Ashley wins the game for them?
2: It's um, how often? Uh, probably not that often, although he's got the best field goal kicker in the history of the game in but Justin but that Tucker. doesn't
5: matter, right? The, the, the fact that that field goal is, has a high likelihood of it happening, the, the chance that that field goal actually leads them to win the game, meaning they're able to stop Josh Allen from scoring a field goal or Josh Allen from scoring a touchdown, is pretty low. Their best chance to win that game is to score a touchdown there and force the Bills to then go down and, and get a, a you know a, right. a touchdown to tie and, and whatnot. And so you you can't play with this idea that you know we're, we're we're lengthening the game or whatnot. I mean, the other thing that that you know we know is that even if you get into overtime in some of these situations, other situations, you at best have. You know, a 50 50 chance to win the game in overtime. And so often, you know, like getting a game to overtime is not a victory, right? Getting a game into a situation where you can win it in, in regulation is much better than, than the field goal and, and um, that drives in an overtime. I think the other thing that you said I think that was interesting was the idea of what a game state, i.e., taking the lead, will do to the other team. To the from, other team uh, psychological.
2: Houston. Yes. That's my yeah, point. So yes.
5: I'm, I think that's an interesting point, but what I think, one of the things I think we also know, right? So let's say a situation where a team is up by three and they have a chance to go up by 10 or go up by six. Oftentimes they'll take the field goal to go up by six. And what a lot of research has found in the analytics world is if they do that, right, they're almost sometimes better off staying at three than going to six, which sounds counterintuitive. Because when they go to six, they actually make the other team more aggressive. They make the other team play more optimally, pass more. They make them go for it more, and therefore they make their offense even better. So They're almost better sometimes staying at being up three. Obviously, the best thing is for them to go up by ten. So 10, to yeah. be aggressive and to go up by two, two, two possessions is a much better way to look at it.
2: It's weird. It's, it's Yes, mine is a feel situation, and it's not a number situation, but I yield on some of these things. Jeff, who you have this week?
5: All right, we're going to start with Baltimore minus the three over Cincinnati. Um, Again, Baltimore, they played a good game against Buffalo, but sort of folded at the end. Um, I think Cincinnati is a team that, again, I'm looking to sort of like bet against. Um, I think Baltimore here wins this game by more than three.
2: Carville went the other way, but his tie is to LSU's Joe Burrow, which we all understand. Okay, what else? We're
5: going to take Miami minus the three over the Jets. This Jets team is like, been pulling stuff off by the seat of their pants, and obviously you got to for respect the fact that Salah's been able to do that with them after starting pretty poorly. Uh, what is he doing? He's like taking notes on everyone that he's gonna uh, he's yeah. gonna get back at yeah. when they receipts. when they win the Super Bowl. Yeah,
2: yeah Even receipts.
5: The receipts. Yeah. Does this bother
2: um, you? Two are not playing. You're okay with Teddy Bridgewater?
5: I mean, going into this season, what do we think of Tua, right? Like, we didn't not that think much. that much right. of them, and, and not right. much of this is being driven by scheme and by their wide receivers. And, uh, you know, Bridgewater is, is, is competent, um, for sure. And so, I, you know, I, I, I it, it doesn't bother me that much, I guess, is the simple answer.
2: Okay. What else?
5: I'm going to take the Titans minus the two over your commies. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I just don't think the commanders are very good right now. And I think the you know, the Titans, um I don't know if they're that great either, but the reality is that they're a better team than, than um Washington and I like them here minus the two. Um I'm they stunned that it's
2: only two. I-, I can't believe it's only two. They're trying to get you to bet Washington, right? I've actually got well, it one and a half if yeah, you like it's, that.
5: It's, it's even come down, right? It, it was two and a half earlier in the week, and it's come down. I mean, two and a half to one and a half is not a huge move. But, um, you know, it, yeah, I mean, definitely, there's definitely some money, some smart money on Washington, and it's probably yeah. more of a situation in a, in a home team situation than anything. But sometimes you've got to go against that smart money.
4: Okay, what else? I'm
5: going to take the Browns. Uh, obviously, I liked this earlier in the week when it was three. What do you guys have that at, Nigel?
4: i got charges giving two and a half now
5: yeah I'm gonna take the Browns plus the two and a half over the Chargers. Um, yeah, earlier in the week it was three. I mean, the Chargers, they're they're a little bit of a mess, I think right now, and, and, I, and I like the Browns um, defensively, obviously still very good. Um, offensively have been pretty solid. Last week, hopefully was an anomaly where they played a, a bad game against Atlanta. I expect them to bounce back here and win this game.
2: Got another one for us?:
5: We got one more. Oh. Texans plus the seven over Jacksonville. Uh, we talked about Jacksonville last week as a team that, you know, everyone was sort of buying into and um, they played a, a reasonable game against Philly, got lucky with the early turnover. Um, but, you know, Philly ended up dominating that game. I, I just think this is too many points for a Jacksonville team That's you know, in what world will we have thought, oh, Jacksonville should be giving seven points to anyone um, or at the beginning of the season, so um, T- Texans have been competitive, and I expect them to keep this game relatively competitive.
2: They have been competitive. They're not very good, but they've been competitive. They're well coached. I guess I'm my eye roll is on Cleveland because I always thought I thought the Chargers were were possibly a breakout team this year.
5: Yeah, it's, it's been a little bit of a weird situation where it seems like Staley's sort of magic has kind of worn off. Um, you know. A, a, I think people do believe they have elite level talent. They certainly haven't performed that way um this this week this year. But I mean I think again, like it's more this is more a play where I think Cleveland um has shown that despite not having Sean Watson and Jacoby Brissett, they're they're a pretty good team. Um, you know, they're they're prob they probably should be uh, only have one loss. Obviously, they shouldn't have that loss to the Jets, I don't think. Right. Um, right. They've played they play, they play very well this year, uh, despite not having uh, an elite quarterback.
2: Okay. You can see Jeff's Ma work. Jeff's, Jeff Ma's work with Rufus on Bet the Process. I'm glad you found us. We were afraid we were going to have to not have you this week. So thank you, Jeff, and we'll talk next week.
5: Okay. Thanks, Tony.
2: Jeff Ma, boys and girls. MIT guys are smart. They can figure out how to call you at some point. We'll take a break, and we have email and a jingle. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser.
4: Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor
3: podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week.
0: We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner.
1: Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever
0: you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show.
9: Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag.
2: Thank you to David Della Britta It's a lovely tune. You want to do the Bethesda Bagels? They had sandwiches
4: today. Sandwiches on a Friday. That's yeah, sort of un- odd. Uh, yeah, it's unusual. Count on them on Monday. We do. Odd. We hope we get them again on Monday. But Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. All right. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, if you wake up and don't want to smile, if it takes just
2: a little while, open your eyes and look at the day. You'll see things in a different way. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. It'll soon be here. It'll be better than before. Yesterday's gone. Yesterday's gone. That's Fleetwood Mac. And if I am not mistaken, that was either the Clinton-Gore song or just the Gore song. I think it was Clinton. Do You think it was Clinton I'm, and Gore? I think it was Clinton don't and Gore. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. They, I remember that. Thanks to our guests today, Mark Feinstein, Jason Lock and Ford, James Carville, Jeff Ma. Thanks as well to today's sponsors. Great read by Michael on MeUndies, Freshly and Electric E-Bikes. And remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. This is from Carl in Oswego, New York. Are you aware that Dan Byrne was mentioned on Wednesday's episode of Jeopardy? <laughs> screenshot attached. Since I got to meet him last month, I think this counts as my David Aldridge moment. The clue is Dan Byrne's song, Company Town, mentions this Ohio city where Goodyear has been based since 1898. From Ben in Beverly, Ben Ramondetta, imagine my surprise as I experienced my, babe, David, my very first David Aldridge moment while watching Jeopardy tonight. As I sat on my couch, a clue popped up about Akron, Ohio. Not about Akron as the birthplace of Quaker Oats or the hometown of Steph Curry or LeBron, <laughs> No. Instead, the $1,600 clue asked for the name of the city mentioned in the Dan Burns song, Company Town. I turned to tell the woman to whom I'm related by marriage I know that guy before remembering that she refuses to watch Jeopardy with my insufferable self and couldn't care less about my daily podcasting habits. Instead, I proceeded to rave through the screen to Ken Jennings about Dan Byrne's brilliance and wondered aloud if there's some club of genius where Dan and Ken could get drinks on the weekend. My invite must be lost in the mail. I haven't seen a final Jeopardy clue about rope and a yardstick yet, but you can bet I'll be keeping an eye out now. It says, tell Nigel I went to college in Wenham. So, oh, that's I, Beverly, Massachusetts. I know that. So yeah. what is this? Michael, what do you, th- did you know the song Company Town?
3: I don't, I was from... sort of hoping that Hen Party would be the clue. Yeah. <laughs>
4: so amazing isn't that great now let's just casually refer to dan burns song you know it's world famous open for the who (laughs) from john russell could not have been happier to hear
2: you read a quote from the adventures of buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension one of my absolute all-time favorites i'm a long-time teacher now principal in san diego county and over the years i've often looked for opportunities to repeat my favorite quote from that movie when interacting with students near the end of the movie when he is asked by the president about nuking russia Quote, yes on one, no on two. You'd be surprised how often elementary students throw questions at you in sets of two. I've been an educator long enough to be connected to many former students who are now adults and on a few occasions, they've seen the movie and we've been able to talk about it and laugh about why I would say that quote back in the day. Fourth graders, of course, didn't get the joke at the time. Fun fact, the first time I saw that film was on cable with Tony Clark. Yes, that Tony Clark, executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Union. We we played basketball against each other in high school. This is wild. <laughs> Became great friends and were roommates for a few years when he transferred to San Diego State after leaving Arizona before he committed full-time to baseball. Thank you for decades of entertainment on PTI and your radio show and podcast. Great Yeah, that's that. a great movie. Big bootay. Big bootay. <laughs> from Jeff Piggott. He's mad. The Corleone Olive Oil Company tried Genko. Nigel, you need to reset the board. Yeah, that's To me. zero. This is from Jeff Mill, and it's from Dan Shaughnessy's Boston Globe column of a week ago regarding a conversation he had with Jim Palmer. Quote, I don't want to name names, Palmer said, but I was talking with a couple of the Red Sox around the batting cage last night, and I made a joke about the cheap home runs to get hit down by Pesky's pole. One of the young guys didn't know about the Pesky pole, so I told him that Johnny Pesky regularly got 200 hits and batted in front of the last 400 hitter, and the kid said, You mean David Ortiz? (laughs) I explained to him, now that Ortiz never hit 400, then told him about Ted Williams, and he said he'd never heard of Ted Williams. He's on the Red Sox. How is that what? possible? Matt from Richmond, formerly from Pittsburgh. I thought I might spread the word on the solo stove. fall sale. This is great. Emails about sponsors. My wife surprised me with one this past week as the base model was $170 off and all the other models have hefty discounts as well. I asked her if she used the code, and she said, what code? Should I file for divorce? Yeah, maybe. From Elizabeth Gardner. In Austin, Texas, you asked about the price of Red Zone. I had Red Zone for four years, but recently decided I was tired of paying DISH. I do miss it. I find myself watching the highlights more closely before Sunday Night Football. I was under a DISH package of $69.99 a month and paid an additional $13 a month for Red Zone. You have to have a certain package to get Red Zone as an add-on. There's also a $17 $17 a month equipment charge. Total monthly bill is $102. By the way, that is like one-third of mine. (laughs) Supposedly I was getting a deal because the $69 a month package is normally $84 a month I downgraded so I didn't have to commit to another two years with dish now I'm not under a two-year contract. I can cancel dish at any time. I'm considering unplugging and only streaming There's plenty to watch on Netflix Amazon Prime Brit. Is it BritBox or bright Etc. Not sure about that my one. downgraded dish package Includes the hallmark channel, which I will never watch but does not include ESPN. I have to listen to the PTI podcast Thanks Washington football team fan, but not a fan of Carson Wentz. Michael, I didn't understand any of that. Can you explain what she did? And and because I just get red zone on my normal now package. Basically, is... as you
3: try as you try and unbundle, there's always one package, one channel that you want, and that's how they get you to buy into the next one. So for us, yeah. it's regional sports, it's the red zone, and then before you know it, it's that ten or fifteen dollar add on every single month. I'm, my bill is close to three hundred dollars. Well, how many cable boxes do you have on the TV?
2: Four or five. Oh, yeah, you have like to pay lot. extra all the time. From Steve Hawk in North Fond du Lac. not Fond And you Fond du Lac, never but, returned the old ones. No, I didn't. I made a mistake. <laughs> I owe them money. Steve Hawk in North Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Dr. Tony, you've been a bit wishy-washy on this point recently. Please clarify, is Victor Robles a good hitter? No, he's not a major league hitter. From Jeff Lowy in Fremont, Indiana, formerly of Fort Wayne, Indiana, your personal blossom rot consultant. Oh. Right. Oh brother, you really need to expand your horizons. Scott Hansen does work more than 18 days a year He also works for the NFL Network and can be seen on various programs during the offseason. Now you can sleep better at night Let me expand on this for a second because Rob Stronick went to college With Scott Hansen. They both went to Syracuse University and he informed me that Scott Hansen does a lot of other stuff on The NFL Network. Okay, fine. That makes sense. He was on the football team He was a long snapper on at Syracuse. He's a walk on at Syracuse and was on the football team as a long snapper wow. and maybe even as a wide receiver. Wow. You can't hide you that here behind a helmet. Huh? Yeah, what <laughs> are we hide make that of hair. that? Yeah, well, it's great hair, Scott Hanson. We, we, are, we think that's really good. Yeah, that's fantastic. We think that's really good. Oh, Josh Cromwell in Moselle, Mississippi. MB stands for Manitoba. We learned that. Yes. The Canadian province where Winnipeg is located. It's directly west of Ontario, home of that great Midwestern city, Toronto. I'm sure Wilbon can tell you about how great it is. <laughs> and, and one other thing from Lucas in Montreal, the lady who wrote you about the potatoes. Now, this was somebody named Kelly. I don't know if it was a man or a woman. But this is an assumption, or was it a woman? We don't know. I thought it maybe was she a... told us all about the she or he told us all about the potatoes.
4: Yes, I thought it was a woman, but, I, but I'll okay. have to go back and look. Okay, if it yes. is fine. Yeah,
2: the lady who wrote you about the potatoes was one of the most interesting emails you've read in many years. Have her on into a full segment. Lord <laughs> knows you've done much worse. He's right on all counts. Right on all counts. If you're out on your bike, time to everyone is always to wear white.
1: You know, they all get involved, and they all got their gear already, and so they're going to be all Stop. colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black. Well, get out. Know.
9: <laughs> Is what is she? What this is